Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
This is Chicago's finest internet radio show, making a world a better place, one show at a time. The George Water Jr. Show is now on the air. Take it away, Dad. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for uh, your nice, kind words about this show. And uh, we're always trying to strive to be better. It's all about making the world a better place. There could be no other uh, uh, a way of saying it. It's all about making the world a better place. Every time I think I'm saying making the world a better place, the worse it gets. But we got to hang. <laughs> We've got to hang in there, folks. It, uh, you know, anything could be made better, you know, and... Um, or much better, or maybe it's great already, and it was great. Uh, America was great long before uh, anybody say, "Let's say it, let's make a, let's make America great again." It's less greater now, but uh, we got to hang in there and make. It's up to us. It's up to us individually to um, to make the world uh, uh, a livable place again. To make America the place that everybody. Uh, uh, had once looked up to yeah we're we're down there below uh some of the um some of the worst countries in the world <laughs> uh but we have to dig ourselves up out of the muck because it's going to take each one of us it's not going to take any politician it's going to take americans and uh you know how we uh like helping uh, helping each other it's christmas what can i say it's uh it's Christmas. It's New Year's. I want to say Merry Christmas to everybody out there. I want to say Happy New Year. Uh, let's try to make it a better year. Uh, you know, and it, it's no time to feel depressed. There's no time to feel, you know, uh, I don't know, depressed, down and out, or you know, powerless. It's no time to feel like that. I mean, you gotta stay up. You gotta stay positive, because you want to stay. Uh, positive and alert and motivated because that's the only thing is that's the only thing that will help to make the world a better place you feeling positive and you feeling uh great about yourself and a great about and great about how things can be how great things can be but if you're depressed and you're down and out and oh my god the world is going to a mess i can't you have to get out of that mode of feeling because so many people fall in that. Well, I'm, well, what can I do? Well, what can I do? Get up off the couch and get out there and vote. That's what you can do. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Follow me on Facebook. I'm all over the place. Where am I? Where am I? Google, uh, LinkedIn, or uh, social media, whatever. I'm hearing that they're trying to. Uh, actually, they have. Um, messed around the internet messed over it i that's what i call it net neutrality i mean it, it's out the window but don't be don't be depressed don't be uh down in the dumps we just vote these guys out and put some more guys in there guys and girls and that's going to do what we want them to do because this crowd right now they don't listen to us they don't care we have to put some people in there who speak for us who do care and uh so we have to fight back. I mean, we have to take to the streets. I mean, we ha- or everything we have is going to be destroyed, going to be gone. So we have to do uh, some things, and um, I'm pretty sure we're going to do it. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, uh, and all that stuff from the George Wilder Jr. Show. We will be off the air on Christmas. 
obviously. We're going to be with our families and all that kind of thing, just like you are. So we'll be back, I think, um, what is it, um, 25th, 26th, or 27th. Yeah, 27th of December we'll be back. But as for now, we've got a whole slew of, uh, uh, we're going to be on for the rest of the week here uh, with with a lot of guests, hopefully. <laughs> you never know. People call off people to say, well, I can't make it, George. I just can't make it. Something happened. I, had a, I got a flat tire. I can't do it. But that's, that's, <laughs> that's, um, normal i mean you know i mean it's, it's normal all right my guest today is i think is s-o-n-i-a york okay corruption behind bars we'll see what that's all about on the george water jr show we'll be right back we're going to take a small break here folks and we will be right back and you guys make sure you hang in there because there's a lot more coming on the george wilder jr show Hey, is it possible you can call back in around 20 minutes? No one's there? Okay. train derailment in Washington State, Amtrak derailment over Washington State Highway killed multiple people. I'm hearing that six people died. Yeah, six people died, 77 people injured. Uh, I saw a video of this accident and it was hanging off the, hanging from above down onto what looks like an expressway. I mean, it was just hanging and dangling off the tracks, off the rails. This was like, this was crazy. Wow. And now they're saying that it probably was Amtrak's fault because they did not use some system that they called, what did they call it? Let me see. Uh, train control. You know, uh, it, it will stop the train if the engineer doesn't, you know, so it, it will slow down uh, if, if it, you know, motion, something ahead uh, was not too kosher and that it was dangerous. So the train would slow itself, sort of, in, in case the uh, engineer did not, and they did not implement that. And a lot of people were saying it's their fault because they did not inch, uh, implement the uh, train control where it stops and, or slows down automatically during a turn or during uh before a disaster occurs it slows down automatically just like some of these cars out here drive themselves is they'll stop at a stop sign or or stop before they hit a person 
on their own without the driver's input. So <laughs> uh, it's going to be a lot of lawsuits there. You know, I mean, six people died or more and others injured. It's going to be a bunch of lawsuits. So I would advise Amtrak to get the checkbook out because this this is uh this is very serious. Okay, let's see what it, what else this is uh saying here. I'm pretty sure you guys if, if you're living in the world and you're above water, you know that the uh you know about this Amtrak derailment over Washington State Highway. Okay, and the the amount of casualties that uh has occurred, okay, rescue crews. Okay. Please don't give me, please, I don't want any internet problems right now, all right? Okay. All right, rescue crews continue to sweep through debris on a Washington State Highway Monday afternoon after a, an Amtrak passenger train jumped the tracks and plunged off the overpass earlier in the day. Several train cars were still dangling. Yeah, they were dangling. It looked uh, horrified. Uh, over Interstate 5 in DuPont, Washington, roughly 50 miles southwest of Seattle. Okay. Hours after the crash, at least six people were killed and dozens injured in the wreck. Riders were flung from their seats as the train, which was carrying 78 passengers and five crew members, went off the rails about 7.40 a.m. local time. Between 70 and 80 people were transported to local hospitals. And this, as I've said before, the lawsuits are going to be piling up against Amtrak because a lot of the people are, uh, a lot of these folks are saying, hey, this did, did not have to happen if they would have uh, implemented the train control mechanism, but they did not. Even, even the Amtrak officials said that they did not do that, but they had the capability of doing it, but they did not. Uh, implement uh, no train. Uh, it was no train control. Okay, but it's going to be a lot of lawsuits, and I can just see. I, I can just visualize the lawyers, you know, coming up to these people, asking, you know, uh, asking them if they want to sue. Uh, I mean, back in the day, they used to call them uh, ambulance ambulance chasers, <laughs> and that's exactly what they're doing, chasing ambulance. Uh, and that, uh, uh, yeah, it's going to be something. It's going to be something. Lawsuits are going to be out of this world. I just wonder if Donald Trump is going to say something about it, about this. I mean, he didn't, I haven't heard him say anything yet about the, the fires, uh, the ongoing fires in California, Southern California. I haven't heard anything, him say one word about those fires. I, he hasn't even visited the fire zone. So, I'm just wondering if he's going to say something about this tragedy in New York. I'm not New York, but Washington State, near Seattle. And uh, it's a uh, it's always something. And a lot of the the officials first they thought it might have been terrorism, but they're ruling that out. Um, so we'll just have to stay tuned and find out what's um, what else is going on. But we will do this. We will send out our prayers to everybody in Washington state, um, um, uh, hopefully things will get better. And uh, they, uh, those who are alive and escape death 
will get back to their you know normal lives. Just like I've uh, said said before about the fires in California, we we pray for all of those folks uh, who are who are impacted by those fires because a lot of them, a lot of homes have been totally destroyed. A lot of people have been made totally totally homeless. And I've said this several times too. Anybody could end up homeless. It doesn't matter who you are, what, how much you have. You know, we can. Anyone can wind up on the streets, end up on the streets, even this close to Christmas. You know, so it, it's really, really bad. It, it's it's awful. So we have to send our prayers and thoughts out there to those folks. But I, I, I've said this before too. You know, if you if you lost your home, it's completely gone. It's nothing but ashes, and you're standing in the uh, you're standing where your home or house once was, and you're you know, a lot of those folks. I have to give them a lot of credibility because a lot of them are saying that way we can we can rebuild, we can uh, get those things again that we lost in the fire. So we just have to get going and and get the building. But one of the things that I do know, a lot of people didn't have fire insurance. So, no, so uh, they'll probably have to redo this thing from from scratch, you know, from, you know, start start from the bottom again and work themselves up. But, you know, hey, wow, uh, that can happen. I mean, you know, you, you don't sit around in the muck. You don't sit around and moan and groan forever. You have to get up off your butt and get uh, get on with your life. You know, you lost your home in a fire you know, rebuild it, you know, and and if you're lucky enough to have fire insurance, hey, wow, you know, there you go. But a lot of people have lost their homes and they never will, will regain those homes and they will end up homeless. And I'm talking about, I mean, fabulous homes, expensive homes, luxurious homes. These people found, find themselves homeless for the first time in their lives near Christmas in California. And the fires are still raging. They're still raging. At least, at least in uh i'm thinking um the latest fire they're calling the thomas fire uh, uh wildfire let's see what it says here i'm i'm on the huffington post so wildfire still burning in southern california is third largest in the state history a few days ago we were always we were all sitting around saying California is burning. California is literally burning. And you haven't heard a word or a peep from D Donald Trump or any of the Republicans. I'm hearing that the reason why people haven't heard a peep out of Donald Trump or he hasn't visited the state of California and standing in the rubble where the fires were is that he doesn't like California because California did not vote for him. He cannot stand uh, the governor, Jerry Brown. That's, folks, that's to me truly, truly petty. You're the president of the United States and you're the president of every state. You're the president of all people. Get over it. But not Donald Trump. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't like Illinois either because Illinois didn't vote for him. And if Illinois blew up, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't set foot here and say one kind word because Illinois did not vote for him. It, Illinois went for Hillary Clinton, and uh, he doesn't like states that that um, doesn't like him. So if you don't like him, he don't like you. That's Donald Trump. That's so petty. 
for anybody, but for the president of the United States, it's even worse. All right, you've been listening to the George Water Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. It's 618. Uh, author guest, Sana Clark. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly. Corruption Behind Bars. Uh, we will be hopefully talking to Sana York. I'm sorry, if I, if I said Clark, I didn't mean Clark. Sana York. You. Y-O-R-K. My mouth isn't working too clearly here, folks. All righty. Um, hate has no home here. Be nice to one another out there. It is so easy to be nice. Stop arguing and cursing and, and swearing and just being awful. All right. Keep your fears to yourself, but share your courage with others. Hate has no home here. This is the George Wilder Jr. Show. We are going to do the doorbell. Can we do the doorbell? <laughs> the doorbell. What about the drum roll? Can we do that? Oh, my goodness. I, I love it. I love it. I Give the drummer some, right? All righty. Doug Jones, as we all know, won in Alabama. Uh, clearly, um, Roy Moore has not. Uh, succeeded. I mean, he has not, you know, said that he did not win. Okay. And um, I don't know. I, I guess he thinks that he he won instead of Doug Jones. But I'm hearing Doug Jones is going to be, um, he said, I, I saw something on Facebook that said he was going to be voting, considering voting with the Republicans. Very seriously considering. I mean, he was He's supposed to be a Democrat, but, you know, a lot of people are reading that, are reading that different ways, uh, different way. And uh, and then there are some people saying, we can't trust no politician, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, we can't trust them. No, we can't. No, we can't. But on the, the only thing we can trust is ourselves to make it right. A politician doesn't do his job or her job. It's up to us to do it for them because we're the one who voted their asses in. They don't do their job. We do it for them. And then next time we just vote them out. And then we change things for what they were or we make things a lot better. I mean, it's 320 million Americans in the United States. And it's a few of those clowns, just a few clowns in Congress. Now, who has the true power? All right, you've been listening to to the George Wilder Jr. Show uh, on Black Talk Radio. Great to be back. We were off three days during the weekend. Uh, as always, I was doing some writing and, and you know, and we were doing some errands. We got to do those things and taking a break, taking a breather, because it's been fun doing the show. And I just love the people who, um, who are guests on the show, who come on the show and tell their stories. And, and even I learned something. I learn a lot myself because I'm never too I'm I'm never too old to learn to learn. I mean, you can no one is never too old to learn. You know, I used to think when I was younger, going to high school and uh, grammar school and high school actually, and then on to college. You know, I always thought that I better learn as much as I can. You know, but uh, as I've gotten older, I'm always learning every day, all the time. I'm learning from young people, old people. I'm learning from. Uh, African-Americans, I'm learning from white people, I'm learning from Asians, I'm learning from, uh, you know, I'm just learning, I'm learning from children, I'm, I, I, and 
It doesn't mean that you're stupid or you're dumb because you're learning every day. I think it just makes you smarter to learn every day, learn all the time. You know, if you're 99 years old, you can still learn something from somebody if you uh, don't think you know that much. And I, I do not think I know a whole hell of a lot, but I'm not stupid. <laughs> At least I don't think I am. At least I try not to be. All right. You've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Follow me on Facebook and we will We'll be right back. We're going to do this. What we're going to do, ending panhandling. Okay. Um, let's see. We don't want to flaking out. It's sad that Keith Oberman, Keith Oberman is, um, has quit. He has quit his commentary on YouTube. I mean, he was really into Trump. He's quit. And uh, this is his last. I'm going to clip his last um, commentary for YouTube, and he's talking about Donald Trump. He's one of my favorites. I'm Keith Olbermann, and this is The Resistance. I'm confident now, even more so than I have been throughout the last year, that this nightmare presidency of Donald John Trump will end prematurely and end soon, and I am thus also confident that this is the correct moment to end this series of commentaries. The important stuff first. There are seven routes in front of Trump. Each inevitably ends in his impeachment or resignation. The first, the likeliest, became a thousand times more likely with the Thanksgiving news of a possible deal between Robert Mueller and General Michael Flynn. As I reported here as long ago as April 4th, the most specifically qualified expert alive on the subject of prosecuting a president, my friend, the Nixon White House counsel John Dean, put it to me very simply. Mueller is not shooting down. Mueller does not make a deal with Flynn to get Paul Manafort. He does not make a deal with Flynn to get Jared Kushner. He does not make a deal with Flynn to get Trump Jr. Mueller makes a deal with Flynn to get Donald Trump. Period. The Flynn deal report suggests Mueller has completely assembled the backbone of his case and is now just hanging the meat from it. And just as importantly, if Flynn has merely considered a deal from Mueller, it almost necessarily means Flynn either doesn't believe he would get a pardon from Trump or that Mueller, as I've also reported here, has succeeded in finding a way around Trump's pardon power. And either of these near certainties spell Trump's doom. So that's the most obvious of the seven ways for Trump to go now. Mueller really will get him on Russia. It will be ugly and it will tear this country nearly apart, but it will be necessary. The second way is, as I've also repeatedly suggested here, that Mueller doesn't really need to prove anything about Trump and Russian sabotage of the election. There seems to be so much obstruction of justice, from the firing of James Comey to the lies about Trump Jr.'s meetings with the Russians, that it's hard to pick out a key player in the Trump inner circle who could not be guilty of it. Trump could be impeached on just obstruction of justice and a few lesser charges. Nixon was about to be. Or there is a third way. We could be spared the trauma of a Russia impeachment or an obstruction of justice impeachment as we were spared it with Nixon if Trump is smart or just sufficiently scared enough and he resigns. Or if he isn't, those around him who could still sell themselves by selling him out will force him to resign. A modified version of this, of course, is the fourth possible outcome, that even if Mueller is months away from his denouement, the Republicans will impeach or remove Trump by spring purely to save their own asses.
The state elections in Virginia and Oklahoma earlier this month show what could face Republican incumbents nationwide next November. Not only were Democratic victories overwhelming, but half of them were little morality plays. The 26-year-old lesbian beats the Republican in the district Trump won by nearly 40 points a year ago. The transgendered candidate in Virginia beats the guy who wrote an anti-equality bathroom bill. The boyfriend of a news reporter shot to death on camera beats the Republican pro-NRA candidate. I'll say it again. Richard Nixon was not forced out of office by Democrats, not really even by Watergate. Democrats controlled the Senate and the House every day Richard Nixon was president. They could have impeached him at any point. He resigned when the leading Republicans went into the White House and told him that not only would he be impeached and convicted, but he would take all of them down with him and they were not going to let him do that. So that's the fourth way out. Trump becomes more of an albatross to Republicans and more importantly more of a rallying cry to Democrats and the Republicans remove him before the midterms and then boastfully run for re-election on having removed him. The fifth endgame is the same thing only faster. The Republicans around him pull off that palace coup that is perfectly legal under the 25th Amendment and Mike Pence and Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell eject Trump by simply stating he is unfit and getting their majorities to agree he's unfit. And if you don't think Pence and Ryan and McConnell would do that, you didn't see Trump's crazy tweet about the Man of the Year Award or this thing in front of the Native Americans on Monday, and you don't know Pence and Ryan and McConnell. The sixth means by which Trump leaves early is, of course, that if the Republicans don't impeach Trump before the midterms, the Democrats will be able to after the midterms. If Virginia and New Jersey and Oklahoma are indicators, the Democrats could take the House and might need as few as 25 vulnerable Republicans in the Senate to vote guilty to remove Trump from office. But now there is a seventh new path to destruction for Trump, and it has bubbled up from the sewer of his life recently. And even with how Teflon he has been on this particular subject, it seems hard to believe the dam won't break. His sexual conduct as not one snowball, but a decade's worth of them have come down that hill, wiping out all the sleaze bags and emboldening and empowering the victims. It seems impossible. <laughs> all right. Welcome back to the George Wilder Junior Show. And I want to thank everybody uh, for tuning in. And it, it's always a blessing to know that you're out there and that you're supporting the show, at least with your listenership. And that's beautiful. That's wonderful. All right, you're on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Go right ahead. Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yeah, you've been holding on for quite a while, I see. Well, I wanted to hear your introduction, which I really enjoyed. I thought it was very good. Uh, I'm Gary York from Corruption Behind Bars. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and that's uh, your latest book? or? or... Yes, sir. Uh, it is the first of two books, Corruption Behind Bars and Inside the Inner Circle. They're both uh, true stories about corruption within our prison system in the United States. And unfortunately, I'm not talking about the inmates. Okay. Okay. Let me do this. Gary York on the George Wilder Jr. Show, he's talking about, he will be talking about corruption behind bars. This sounds like something totally, totally that's interesting. And uh, uh, give us a little uh, background and then start to uh, tell us a little bit about what you do. Give us a little yes, uh, um, bio. Yeah. 
Yes, sir. Uh, well, I, I started out in the uh, U.S. Army right after high school, and I did eight years in the military police, and then I got out of the uh, U.S. Army and uh, grabbed the first job that was available. I became a correctional officer, and from there I was promoted to probation and parole officer for the state of Florida. This is all in the state of Florida. And then mm -hmm. I was promoted to senior prison inspector, where for the next 12 years, wow. I did internal affair investigations on prisons throughout the entire state of Florida. And um, when I retired, I had people tell me that I should write some of these stories. People need to know, the public needs to know what's going on yeah, behind the razor exactly. wire. And that's how I uh, ended up finally sitting down and, and uh, writing these books. And I've been invited on a few shows since I've written the books and uh, things are getting better, but the fight is uh, is a tough one. Yeah, I mean, we're fighting on all fronts, and it's it's a battle, believe me. <laughs> uh, okay, well, you uh, know, tell us about... Go ahead. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Well, I'm sorry. I, I just want to say, yes, it's a battle because, you know, our job as correctional officers, correctional managers, and our legislature, when we put people in prison, we don't put them in prison to be abused or contain their bad habits by bringing them drugs. You know, the judge has already sentenced the people to prisons, okay? So now they're in prison. So it's not our job to decide that they need to be abused or we don't need to smuggle drugs in. A lot of people are in prison. As a matter of fact, the majority of people that are in prison are in prison for drug usage. So when you have correctional officers or prison staff that are smuggling drugs into the prison, we're not helping them. You know, we're supposed to try to help rehabilitate also. And by smuggling drugs into the prison, we are helping them with their bad habit. And when they get out of prison, yeah. they're, they're still using drugs. They're using drugs sometimes more in prison than they do on the street. Yeah, once they get out of prison, they go back to doing what they were doing before they, actually, before they first gone to prison. You know, so... Correct. So basically... So basically what you're saying is that uh, prison is not the um, rehabilitation institution as a lot of us believed. It's actually making well, inmates a lot worse. It. I wish I could say it was rehabilitative, but in, in our country, rehabilitation mm -hmm. just seems to be almost at a standstill, at a zero. And prison officials are trusted public servants to the state citizens. and when you have corruption from the highest man in the state of Florida running the Department of Corrections all the way down to some of the officers, um, that's not good news for anybody because there are inmates who do go to prison and say, I want to get my GED, I want to learn, I don't want yeah, any trouble, yeah. and I want to go home, and this is not helping them. Yeah, yeah. I imagine a lot of uh, uh, guys who go, guys and girls who go to prison. The first thing they they they're saying to themselves that they're going to do good next time. They're going, you know, they're going to be a uh, an asset to society. They're going to be pr a productive part of society when they get when they get out. But if if prison itself is corrupt, you know, then that's another story. Well, my books tell. There's a, they're all short stories of different prisons uh -huh. throughout the state and different things that I've investigated. Uh -huh. I've investigated staff inmate relationships. I've investigated uh, lots of drug smuggling from 
officers and prison staff. I mean, I've even investigated drug counselors smuggling drugs into the prison. Um, I've investigated wow. um, embezzlement by management, uh, taking money from the inmate canteen funds, which all the money comes from the families of the inmates on weekends when they come to visit, and they've they've uh, embezzled money from that fund, which is for the inmates and for the inmates' families. Um, and all these stories are in my books, and it's unfortunate because what kind of a, of an example are we setting exactly. for the inmates when they're looking at us saying, "Wow, you know these guys are taking our money, and they're just..." I've heard inmates. Inmates have told me when I interviewed them, you know, these guys, some of mm -hmm. them are just as bad as as we are, you know. Not they're wanting to be better, but they they're in there for a crime, and they're saying these guys should be in here with us. Of course. Uh, Gary York on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Do you, uh, you know, offer any solutions to what's going on uh, in some of these prisons yes. in your book? Yes, I do. I talk in my book at the beginning and at the end that we as citizens need to make legislature pay more attention to prisons. And we're going away from the prisons now that we have um, uh, new people in office. It seems now we're yeah. going further mm -hmm. away from the prisons again than we were. Yeah. It seemed like we were starting to get towards the prisons. If you remember, President Obama was the first president of the United States to ever walk and visit a federal prison, from what I understand, to take the yeah. time to go in and look at yeah. it. Okay, mm -hmm. and... Now, we're not only not paying attention to the prisons, we're saying lock everybody up, throw away the key, and by the way, let's build a bunch of private prisons so us rich guys can get richer. Yeah, that's exactly what's going on, man. That's a, I mean, um, hit them in the head, knock them out, lock them up, you know, that's it, and build more of them. That's what the current administration is all about. But uh, can you share some, some more of your solutions? Yes. Um, if we do not take a stand and get with our senators, our congressmen, our, mm -hmm. our state representatives, and say, hey, what are you going to do about the corruptions in the prisons? You know, uh, we have riots going on all the time because of officers uh, being brutal to inmates. You know, that causes a riot. You, you know, anybody that gets yeah. hit enough is going to turn on you. We have food issues. Everything is not the way... A lot of the state tells you. Now, please let me say one thing so everybody does understand. There are a lot of good, honest officers protecting your daughter, your son, your mother, and your father within the prison system. But Without a doubt. When you, so I don't want to make it sound like, oh, every single one is bad. They're not. There's a lot of good ones. I would like to yeah. think that, that I was called a good one when I was in there. Not good by giving them things. You know, make the inmates follow the rules and regulations and not violate any regulations, but not uh, hinder their stay or, or, or enhance their drug habits or, or abuse them, especially. Mm -hmm. And um, this is going on a lot. And what happens, honest officers are scared to report the corrupt. Why? Because the corrupt stand together a lot stronger than the honest ones, and, and they're scared to say anything. All right, how is the book doing? Uh, well, um, 
It's on uh it's on it's under corruptionbehindbars.com, which is my website, which links you to Amazon mm-hmm. as well if you're a, if you're a Kindle person or an ebook. It's been um I, my corruption behind bars made it to number two in Canada on oh, one wow. category. Congratulations. Um, under the, um, thank you very much. I mean, um, you know, for somebody <laughs> like me who had never written books before, I was kind of proud. Yeah. In Canada, I was number two under criminal justice. Uh, corruption behind mm-hmm. bars was number six in the United States on Amazon in penology. Wow. Uh, the Nancy Red uh, Huffington Post Nancy Red show. She had me on her show. Uh, the Guardian mm. New World newspaper uh, just did an article on me. Uh, I'm getting out there slowly. I've done radio shows, you know, here and there across the country. Uh-huh. Uh, a couple of newspaper yeah. articles. Uh, it's starting to it's starting mm. to pick up, and you know, you just need people to uh, help spread the word. Though we're not going to do anything uh, single. We have to be together. To exactly, you need people. Like you need that support. Um, I heard you say earlier. You know, we need to help make America a better place. And okay, I know I'm talking about prisons, but isn't that one way we could start making things better? If we can get the guys and girls in the prison system, of course, on the right course. track. That's, that's what. Exactly. That's, uh, always. Uh, a, that's always a good way to start. You know, at the prisons, because, uh, um, I mean, there's no doubt about it. When someone goes to prison, someone goes to uh, jail, it, it's, it should be about rehabilitating them, you know, not making things worse. As though, Because a lot of these guys and girls who get, get out of prison uh, end up going right back. Yeah, so there's something Correct. lacking there. Correct. And if you have your staff members... Um, smuggling in contraband, you're placing everyone in danger. If they smuggle in a weapon, a knife, drugs, somebody's going to get high and crazy in there. And your brother, sister, mother, or father who are not involved in that, but they are incarcerated in that prison, could end up getting hurt, just like a staff yeah. member could end up getting hurt. So this yeah. this is a, a bad thing. When, I, when officers do this, it really bothers me. You know, you, you took an oath... Yeah to uphold the law, and now you're using your badge to, to make money. Uh, Mr. York, do you have your book with you? Can you read us an excerpt from it? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, this is from Chapter 4, where an okay. inmate was beaten over, uh, this inmate was beaten over a five-day period by two shifts headed up by two different captains. And... Um, he finally died on day five, and what happened wow. is uh, this inmate did something they didn't like, so they took it upon themselves to torture him every night, and they, he ended up dying from internal bleeding. But here's an expert, if you want me to go ahead and... Yeah, Edwards right lay there. Yes, sir. Edwards lay there fully exposed for 12 hours, dosed with antipsychotic and pain medications, but with much, but with nothing more than bandages to staunch the continuous flow of blood from his open veins. Fading in and out of consciousness and coherence, Edwards occasionally twisted and tried to pull himself from his hand restraints calling out for water. Captain Browning responded, F him. I didn't say the whole word. I don't know if we can say that. Uh, Captain Browning (laughs) responded, F him. Get someone else to give him water. 
An inmate orderly brought him milk, but Edwards vomited it back up. At one point, Captain Browning jumped on the metal bed and pulled hair from inmate Edwards' chest and eyebrows, yelling, that's got to hurt. Man, that's got to hurt. Captain Browning then kicked Edwards in the groin and struck him in the face and said, he doesn't deserve to live. He deserves to die. And that's a true story that I investigated. By the way, every case in these yeah. books, I investigated myself. And I can now, we're tell talking about a captain. Little... Okay. And I can tell by that little excerpt that you are very graphic in the book. Yes, sir. Everything's graphic. It's, it does have a warning disclaimer, uh, 18 and older, mm-hmm. because we're, we're talking about some terrible things that are going on in yeah, prison. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tell my audience one one more time where we can go find it. Give us the website and uh, uh, yes, sir. And all of that. It, okay. Uh, my website is corruptionbehindbars.com, mm-hmm. which will mm-hmm. take you to books that you can buy from me, and I send them out to you signed. Or it will also hook you up with the Amazon link, and on Amazon you can buy ebook, Kindle, paperback. And uh, Amazon.com or CorruptionBehindBars.com. And the name of the books are, of course, Corruption Behind Bars and Inside the Inner Circle. All right. So why should someone buy your book? Well, I believe that people sit out here and act concerned, but they forget all about Mm -hmm. the folks in prison. You know, we have, uh, yeah. you know, 2.4 million of our people in prison. Not all of them murdered someone or raped someone or shot someone. Yeah. Do you know yeah. the majority is for drug use? That's the majority mm-hmm. of our inmates. Some of them did commit some, um, you know, some white collar crimes, some computer crimes and things. Mm-hmm. But they're not all murderers and rapists. And there's a chance for them to come out and start their life over again and do the right thing. So we can't just throw away the key and say, forget about them because they're going to come back on the street with us. They're going to be in Walmart with your family yeah. in line. And yeah. we want them to get better. We want them to turn into good citizens. You you can't hide from everything. And these folks are going to come back out into society and you're going to be standing next to them in the grocery store somewhere and, and you want to, uh, to see them doing good and not reverting back to their old ways. So I think if some people would actually see what's happening behind prison walls, it might wake them up to say, wow, we've got to do something about that. You know, what what can we do? Okay. One last question. Uh, do you think, uh, people who are locked up for marijuana use or, uh, other drugs that are not, you know, uh, that potent. Do you think a lot of these inmates' uh, drug offenses should be locked up with the hardened criminals? I've said it in other interviews, and I've said it in some of my articles, because I write articles for CorrectionsOne.com and uh, Corrections.com. And Mm -hmm. I try not to sugarcoat anything. And I'm going to tell you, we don't have to lock up every single person. Why are we locking up the homeless in prison, the mentally ill, and some of these drug offenders? Everyone is locked up and we throw away the key, and they're serving as much time as somebody who murdered somebody, some of these folks. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I just don't think that's right. You know, we talk about overcrowding in prisons. Well, we can we can stop that if we don't lock mm-hmm. every single person up. Uh, mm-hmm. We need to get more um, mental health facilities back open for the mentally ill. The prisons are filled with mentally ill, and guess what? The um, the the opposite is happening. They're shutting down many mental health facilities. So now the prisons yeah. have to deal with it. The officers aren't yeah. trained in this area. So my answer yeah. is no, we don't have to lock everyone up. Okay. All right, Gary York on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Thanks for all you do. Thanks for helping to make the world a better place. And I will be picking up your book. And I hope a lot of listeners out there will be doing the same thing. Thanks for being on the show. You were very enlightening. Well, I thank you for having me, and thank you very much, and keep up the good work. Thank you. I'll be listening. You too. Bye-bye. Take care. Take Bye. care. <laughs> okay. All righty. Uh, Gary York on the George Wilder Jr. Show. We will do this, and we will come back. Republican Florida Senator Marco Rubio gave an interview with Politico this week where he explained, without mincing words whatsoever, that once the Republicans are finished with their disgusting tax cut package for millionaires and billionaires, they're going to help offset those costs by cutting Social Security and Medicare in the United States. Now, if you're unfamiliar with those programs, Social Security is the program that you pay into throughout your entire life so that you can get a little bit of money back when you retire. Maybe it's enough so you don't have to work. In most cases, it's enough to wear a part-time job and your Social Security money will be able to get you through during your golden years. You'll never be able to fully retire, but at least you'll have a little bit coming to you. Medicare is the uh, uh, program for senior citizens that provides partial health insurance for some things, doesn't cover everything. Most of them have to go buy a supplemental plan, but at least it helps them out to an extent. And Marco Rubio says that because these Republican tax cuts are going to, you know, add trillions to the deficit, those nasty little Social Security and Medicare payments are going to be drastically reduced because we've got to get more money to the rich in the United States. Marco Rubio wants to send your grandparents or possibly even yourself, he wants to ship you down the river because he wants to give more money to his wealthy donors. Grandma and grandpa in this instance are going to be screwed. They're never going to be able to retire. They're going to keep working till the day they die just because they won't be able to afford health insurance and they won't be able to retire because Social Security will be cut down to nothing. And more importantly, Rubio is absolutely lying. During this Politico interview, Rubio told us that the main drivers of the debt and the deficit are Social Security and Medicare because the way those programs are structured is just screwing everything up. There are no facts in this country that support Rubio's claim there. None. There is nothing wrong with Social Security. There is nothing wrong with Medicare. The only problem with those two programs is that they don't go far enough. Marco Rubio is a liar. Marco Rubio is a human sack of crap. How about that? How about we just stop mincing words? How about we stop being polite? How about we just call these morons what they are? Because that's the point that I am at here. I am absolutely sick and tired of seeing these disgusting worthless wastes of oxygen. People like Marco Rubio going forward, lying to the public, lying with a straight face, lying with impunity, screwing over everyone so that they can give their wealthy donors more money. 
That is what this about. That is what Republicans want to do. And that is the only thing that they know how to do. So grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, brothers and sisters, you're going to get screwed under the Yeah, we know we're going to get screwed. So are you. All right. Domestic violence abuse in the United States is very, very high. Yeah. I'm here today to talk about a disturbing question, which has an equally disturbing answer. My topic is the secrets of domestic violence. And the question I'm going to tackle is the one question everyone always asks. Why does she stay? Why would anyone stay with a man who beats her? I'm not a psychiatrist, a social worker, or an expert in domestic violence. I'm just one woman with a story to tell. I was 22. I had just graduated from Harvard College. I'd moved to New York City for my first job as a writer and editor at Seventeen Magazine. I had my first apartment, my first little green American Express card, and I had a very big secret. My secret was that I had this gun loaded with hollow point bullets pointed at my head by the man who I thought was my soulmate many, many times. The man who I loved more than anybody on earth held a gun to my head and threatened to kill me more times than I can even remember. I'm here to tell you the story of crazy love, a psychological trap disguised as love, one that millions of women and even a few men fall into every year. It may even be your story. I don't look like a typical domestic violence survivor. I have a BA in English from Harvard College, an MBA in marketing from Wharton Business School. I spent most of my career working for Fortune 500 companies, including Johnson & Johnson, Leo Burnett, and The Washington Post. I've been married for almost 20 years to my second husband, and we have three kids together. My dog is a black lab, and I drive a Honda Odyssey minivan. <laughs> so my first message for you is that domestic violence happens to everyone. All races, all religions, all income and education levels. It's everywhere. And my second message is that everyone thinks domestic violence happens to women, that it's a women's issue. Not exactly. Over 85% of abusers are men. And domestic abuse happens only in intimate, interdependent, long-term relationships. In other words, in families. The last place we would want or expect to find violence. Which is one reason domestic abuse is so confusing. I would have told you myself that I was the last person on earth who would stay with a man who beats me. But in fact, I was a very typical victim because of my age. I was 22. And in the United States, Women ages 16 to 24 are three times as likely to be domestic violence victims as women of other ages. And over 500 women and girls this age are killed every year by abusive partners, boyfriends and husbands in the United States. I was also a very typical victim because I knew nothing about domestic violence, its warning signs or its patterns. I met Connor on a cold, rainy January night. He sat next to me on the New York City subway, and he started chatting me up. 
He told me two things. One was that he too had just graduated from an Ivy League school and that he worked at a very impressive Wall Street bank. But what made the biggest impression on me that first meeting was that he was smart and funny. And he looked like a farm boy. He had these big cheeks, these big apple cheeks and this wheat blonde hair, and he seemed so sweet. One of the smartest things Connor did from the very beginning was to create the illusion that I was the dominant partner in the relationship. He did this especially at the beginning by idolizing me. We started dating and he loved everything about me. That I was smart, that I'd gone to Harvard, that I was passionate about helping teenage girls and my job. He wanted to know everything about my family and my childhood, my hopes and dreams. Connor believed in me as a writer and a woman in a way that no one else ever had. And he also created a magical atmosphere of trust between us by confessing his secret, which was that as a very young boy starting at age four, he had been savagely and repeatedly physically abused by his stepfather. And the abuse had gotten so bad that he had had to drop out of school in eighth grade, even though he was very smart. And he'd spent almost 20 years rebuilding his life, which is why that Ivy League degree and the Wall Street job and his bright, shiny future meant so much to him. If you had told me that this smart, funny, sensitive man who adored me would one day dictate whether or not I wore makeup, how short my skirts were, where I lived, what jobs I took, who my friends were, and where I spent Christmas, I would have laughed at you because there was not a hint of violence or control or anger in Connor at the beginning. I didn't know that the first stage in any domestic violence relationship is to seduce and charm the victim. I also didn't know that the second step is to isolate the victim. Now, Connor did not come home one day and announce, you know, hey, this, all this Romeo and Juliet stuff has been great, but I need to move into the next phase where I isolate you and I abuse you. <laughs> so I need to get you out of this apartment where the neighbors can hear you scream and out of this city where you have friends and family and coworkers who can see the bruises. Instead, Connor came home one Friday evening and he told me that he had quit his job that day, his dream job. And he said that he had quit his job because of me because I had made him feel so safe and loved that he didn't need to prove himself on Wall Street anymore. And he just wanted to get out of the city and away from his abusive, dysfunctional family and move to a tiny town in New England where he could start his life over with me by his side. Now, the last thing I wanted to do was leave New York and my, my dream job. But I thought you made sacrifices for your soulmate. So I agreed. And I quit my job, and Connor and I left Manhattan together. I had no idea I was falling into crazy love, that I was walking headfirst into a carefully laid physical, financial, and psychological trap. The next step in the domestic violence pattern is to introduce the threat of violence and see how she reacts. And here's where those guns come in. As soon as we moved to New England, you know that place where Connor was supposed to feel so safe? He bought three guns. 
He kept one in the glove compartment of our car. He kept one under the pillows on our bed. And the third one he kept in his pocket at all times. And he said that he needed those guns because of the trauma he'd experienced as a young boy. He needed them to feel protected. But those guns were really a message for me. And even though he hadn't raised a hand to me, my life was already in grave danger every minute of every day. Connor first physically attacked me five days before our wedding. It was 7 a.m. I still had on my nightgown. I was working on my computer trying to finish a freelance writing assignment, and I got frustrated. And Connor used my anger as an excuse to put both of his hands around my neck and to squeeze so tightly that I could not breathe or scream. And he used the chokehold to hit my head repeatedly against the wall. Five days later, the 10 bruises on my neck had just faded. And I put on my mother's wedding dress and I married him. Despite what had happened, I was sure we were gonna live happily ever after. Because I loved him and he loved me so much. And he was very, very sorry. He had just been really stressed out by the wedding and by becoming a family with me. It was an isolated incident and he was never gonna hurt me again. It happened twice more on the honeymoon. The first time, I was driving to find a secret beach and I got lost. And he punched me in the side of my head so hard that the other side of my head repeatedly hit the driver's side window. And then a few days later, driving home from our honeymoon, he got frustrated by traffic and he threw a cold Big Mac in my face. Connor proceeded to beat me once or twice a week for the next two and a half years of our marriage. I was mistaken in thinking that I was unique and alone in this situation. One in three American women experiences domestic violence or stalking at some point in her life. And the CDC reports that 15 million children are abused every year. 15 million. So actually, I was in very good company. Back to my question. Why did I stay? The answer is easy. I didn't know he was abusing me. Even though he held those loaded guns to my head, pushed me downstairs, threatened to kill our dog, pulled the key out of the car ignition as I drove down the highway, poured coffee grinds on my head as I dressed for a job interview. I never once thought of myself as a battered wife. Instead, I was a very strong woman in love with a deeply troubled man, and I was the only person on earth who could help Connor face his demons. The other question everybody asks is, why doesn't she just leave? Why didn't I walk out? I could have left any time. To me, this is the saddest and most painful question that people ask. Because we victims know something you usually don't. It's incredibly dangerous to leave an abuser. Because the final step in the domestic violence pattern is kill her. Over 70% of domestic violence murders happen after the victim has ended the relationship. After she's gotten out. Because then the abuser has nothing left to lose. Other outcomes include long-term stalking, even after the abuser remarries. 
denial of financial resources, and manipulation of the family court system to terrify the victim and her children, who are regularly forced by family court judges to spend unsupervised time with the man who beat their mother. And still we ask, why doesn't she just leave? I was able to leave because of one final sadistic beating that broke through my denial. I realized that the man who I loved so much was going to kill me if I let him. So I broke the silence. I told everyone. The police, my neighbors, my friends and family, total strangers. And I'm here today because you all helped me. We tend to stereotype victims as grisly headlines, self-destructive women, damaged goods. The question, why does she stay, is code for some people for it's her fault for staying. As if victims intentionally choose to fall in love with men intent upon destroying us. But since publishing Crazy Love, I have heard hundreds of stories from men and women who also got out, who learned an invaluable life lesson from what happened, and who rebuilt lives, joyous, happy lives, as employees, wives, and mothers, lives completely free of violence, like me. Because it turns out that I'm actually a very typical domestic violence victim and a typical domestic violence survivor. I remarried a kind and gentle man. We have those three kids. I have that black lab, and I have that minivan. What I will never have again, ever, is a loaded gun held to my head by someone who says that he loves me. Now, right now, maybe you're thinking, wow, this is fascinating. Or, wow, how stupid was she? But this whole time, I've actually been talking about you. I promise you, there are several people listening to me right now who are currently being abused, or who were abused as children, or who are abusers themselves. Abuse could be affecting your daughter, your sister, your best friend, right now. Let me share it. I was able to end my own crazy love story by breaking the silence. I'm still breaking the silence today. It's my way of helping other victims. And it's my final request of you. Talk about what you heard here. Abuse thrives only in silence. You have the power to end domestic violence simply by shining a spotlight on it. We victims need everyone. We need every one of you to understand the secrets of domestic violence. Show abuse the light of day by talking about it with your children, your coworkers, your friends and family. Recast survivors as wonderful, lovable people with full futures. Recognize the early signs of violence and conscientiously intervene, de-escalate it, show victims a safe way out. Together, we can make our beds, our dinner tables, and our families 
the safe and peaceful oases they should be. Thank you. Thank you.
All right, welcome back to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Um, Tom Stair, uh, Tom Stair, uh, this guy, if you don't know him, you should know him, and especially if you are against this administration. Uh, he is constantly, constantly online uh, uh, talking about impeachment of Trump. I mean, he, he is a billionaire, and he's got this petition out all over uh, social media. Uh, and it's three million people strong and counting who have signed this petition and, uh, of getting impeaching Donald Trump. I mean, we don't really have to wait for um, uh, this uh, investigation to be over, to impeach Trump. He's done, <laughs> he's done so much already. Someone asked me, George, um, Trump has obstructed justice uh, in, the, uh, in the Mueller case, uh, in the Russia case. And I've, and I've responded, I say, Trump obstructs justice every time he opens his mouth. <laughs> and that's a fact. This guy, but anyway, getting back to this uh, petition to impeach Trump, three million people, three and a half million people have already signed this petition. Why aren't the people in Washington listening to the people of the United States uh, about impeaching Donald Trump? The, the people want him out. The Re Republicans aren't listening. Same with this tax bill that's about to be rammed through again. They're about to pass this monstrosity over the will of the people. 75% of the people in the United States, we do not want this tax bill, but these guys are going to, these guys and girls are going to give it to us anyway. The hell with what we think. The hell with what we want. The hell with it all. They're going to do what they want to do. We want Trump impeached. We don't want him in our White House that we're paying for with our tax money. And he goes golfing every damn week uh, on our backs. This is not fair. And the guy is, uh, it seems like as I speak, they're trying to push sexual misconduct Trump under the rug. I mean, it's like it's forgotten about already. The Democrats, one of the things I hate about the Democrats, they are not as a whole in Congress, they're not as a whole impeachment on sexual harassment. They're not calling for his impeachment. They should be. It, it, it may be a few uh, stragglers in Congress, Democrats, who are calling for his impeachment, but that's not enough. A few, it, it has to be the whole enchilada. It has to be all of them. They have to be unified in calling for his impeachment. And I bet you we'll, we would get some sort of movement if, if Democrats as a, as, a, as a whole would impeach this guy. But they don't want to impeach him. They, they are saying that he, he, it, impeachment is the wrong thing to do. Even Doug Jones, the guy who we just voted into office in Alabama, he's saying the same thing, that Trump uh, uh, impeachment should be off the table. Impeachment is not the time to talk about this. If they know something we don't know, they should tell us. But from my understanding, from my all of my understanding, the reason why the Democrats are not yelling and screaming, and the Democrats in Congress, the rest of us out here, we're yelling, but the ones in Congress, the ones that count, they're not yelling. They're not screaming. And the reason why I've heard so many times is because they're trying to let the investigation 
into Russia meddling into the 2016 election. They want that to go through. That might get Trump out of office in itself. But we don't know when this damn investigation is going to be over. It could be another six months, another year. And by that time, Trump, the United States may not be no more <laughs> with Trump in charge. Uh, this guy needs to uh, go right now. He needs to go now. But the Republicans are not listening to us. The Democrats in Congress, they are not listening to us. They're just not. They're, I mean, they hear us, but hey, they just wave their hands. You know, we're not going to do it. You know, and Doug Jones, um, he, he's this guy, he's a, he, he ran as a uh, Democrat in Alabama, but, you know, I mean, once he gets to Congress, they're going to be whispering in his ear, offering money under the table for his vote and change his mind, all this kind of stuff. He may just be one of those uh, politicians who may just turn on the people who just, who, who have just voted him into office. It happens. I mean, look at the Republicans. I mean, they don't listen to their constituency. They don't listen. And their constituency, they know this. They don't listen to any of the people who put their asses in office and gave them their great health care, the health care that they want to now take away from the rest of us. It's just, it's just, pitiful. Not only should Trump go, but every one of the goddamn Republicans in Congress, excuse my language, every one of those Republicans in Congress should be thrown out on their butts too. And and there is a tsunami coming uh, November 6, 2018. We're going to wipe these we're going to wipe those son of a guns out as, and they know it. They know it. They know they're going to get wiped out. They know they're going to be cleaned out. And everything that Trump has done, every executive order that he has signed into law that hurts people, every executive order that he has erased uh, to try to uh, destroy Obama's legacy will be replaced because we're going to, will be replaced because we the people we're going to make sure of that so whatever donald trump trump is doing he, like he's reversing everything that Don, that uh, obama has done the next president can get in office and erase everything that this clown has done and that's all that he is a carnal carnival clown a con man a liar probably uh, could be more likely allegedly i don't know a rapist you know uh, totally sexual misconduct, and he. The thing about it, uh, doing the, uh, the sexual misconduct. I mean, everybody who's anybody uh, who has been um, subject to sexual misconduct, they've lost their jobs, they've lost their reputation, they've lost their careers, and yet the main groper in chief, Donald Trump, still sits in the White House, and he's done. He's done more on sexual misconduct, sexual harassment, sexual assault than anybody has. And he still got his ass in the White House acting as if nothing is taking place. But anyway, this petition is catching fire. It's catching steam. 
soon or later, the people in Congress are going to have to take notice. I mean, if, you, if you're traveling to New York and you're going uh, in, in downtown New York on Broadway, you're going to see you're going to see posters in lights, colorful lights, saying impeach Donald Trump upside some of the skyscrapers, the skyscrapers, the buildings, the downtown buildings uh, uh, paid for by Tom Steyer, a millionaire, uh, not a millionaire, but a billionaire. And he's a Democrat. He's a Democrat. So once he gets to office, he cannot be bought, bought off and paid off and lied to and threatened to vote the other way, as it seems like, and I hope I'm wrong, Doug Jones might be doing. Doug Jones might be doing because he said he's going to seriously think about voting with the uh, Republicans. When someone says they're going to seriously think about it, to me, they're going to be voting with the Republicans after the Democrats have voted him into office and giving him his great health care. But this tax bill hasn't gone through yet, as as I sit here uh, on the radio, on the Internet radio. It hasn't gone through yet. It hasn't taken effect yet. It hasn't been voted on. I'm hearing sometime after Christmas or by Christmas, and that's about six or seven days away from, from now of this broadcast. But still in all, uh, 75% to 80% of the American people do not want this tax bill. They do not want anything from the Republicans that's going to hurt people. But the, uh, there's no lie that's in some of this, from what I'm hearing, in some of this bill, some of the paperwork, some of the writings, uh, may be a good thing for some low-income people and middle-class people, but it's only temporary. The, te- the uh, rich, they're permanent, but the tax cuts for you and I, if we're not rich, they're temporary. Now, that's backwards. We do not want this bill, but they're going to push it through anyway, regardless of what we want, regardless of how, we, how much we protest, regardless of how much we bitch and say we don't want this, regardless of how many times we've called their offices, we've, we've yelled at them, uh, we've emailed them, we've threatened them with their jobs, and they're still going to pass this monstrosity on us but the the thing is we can after we vote all of these assholes out in 2018 we can rewrite another bill a better bill for uh the poor for the uh middle class and for those who are struggling we can do another bill see whatever the um Republicans are doing now to destroy the country, to destroy, uh, to make lives worse for a lot of Americans. We can undo those things. If they, if it can be done, it can be undone. We just have to get our butts out there, uh, and and in every election leading up to the midterms, we have to vote blue. We want to turn every state within the United States. We want to turn that state blue. We want to take back this country from people who <laughs> don't know what they're doing to people who people who don't know what they're doing, but they know how to hurt people. You know, we want to take the country back from those kinds of people. And so if you haven't signed that petition online or, or it, online or wherever it might be in your neck of the woods, majority of the time it's online. Uh, sign it. 
uh, we have to, the Republicans in Congress, Donald Trump and his goons in the White House, they, gonna, they are going to have to take notice pretty soon, take notice and pay attention because they're not doing it now. The hell with us. You know, the hell with the people. It's what they want for the country, not what the people want. And that's no doubt about it. They want to give, take from the poor and give to the weak. Take from the poor and give to the rich. This is what they want. Take from the poor and give it to the rich. Donald, it's like Robin Hood in reverse. And we are not going to stand for it. Come November 6, 2018, we are going to wipe them all out. Thanks. Have a great weekend. Have a great evening. Bye-bye, everybody.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.